My goodness, it's a real honor and privilege to be back here at Cowie again. We have a history. Um, I've partnered with Cowie Baptist Church, Harold Sable, years ago, and a lot of good people here to begin South Macon Baptist Church all those years ago, back when Lester Evans was director of missions. That's been uh, 27 years ago, and South Macon is still... Uh, going strong, and Albert Gray's doing a great job there, and uh, certainly what a great testimony it is to see how God intervened in the hearts and lives of so many people at Cowie and down there in uh, South Macon County to make uh, South Macon Baptist Church a reality. So it's good for me to have another opportunity to stand here and say thank you so much for your partnership, not only with uh, my personal ministry over the years, but certainly with the, the partnership that Cowie and Baptist Children's Home has uh, in foster care and in other areas, and certainly Drake Cottage is a, a big part of, of um, Cowie Baptist Church. And I want to thank Pastor Jason to, uh, for giving me the opportunity to come, especially in such a, a very special month, uh, Sanctity of Life Month, January. We celebrate uh, Sanctity of Life, should celebrate it all year long, uh, constantly and continually all across um, uh, America every day, all, all throughout the year, but we designate January. I do a lot of Sanctity of Life services in January and February, and certainly I'm thankful to have an opportunity to come and share from my heart and from God's Word with you today. Let's uh, start at the starting place. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for the privilege that we have to be together to worship you in spirit and in truth today and to be reminded of some things that often we forget. We ask in a special way that you'd wrap your arms of love and care around about each and every one that's come this way. I pray that they might be bettered and benefited from being here I pray something that I say or share will find a lodging place in their hearts. And I pray that they may be comforted and encouraged this day. This we pray in thy name. Amen. It's a real honor and privilege to be able to come and share with you uh, from my heart and certainly um, share with you my story. And the reason uh, I'm excited about that is simply put... Um, uh, my story is an adoption story, uh, the appropriate option. You see, in 1973, uh, the country passed a law that, that said abortion was legal. Now, something can be legal and still be wrong. And we, as a culture and a society, have taken the lives of more than a million and a half babies a year in America more than 60 million, and that's a conservative estimate, since 1973. Um, I believe with all my heart that God may be judging America simply because we've chosen that route as a culture and as a society. Abortion should never be an answer. It should never be an option. I want to share with you today the appropriate option, which is adoption and share my story. Not so you'll be impressed with Lewis Smith because uh, being impressed with Lewis Smith won't get you very much. But what I want you to be impressed with is I want you to be impressed with what Jesus Christ has done for me. 
And each and every, you know, I have a testimony, I have a story to share, and I fly the flag for Jesus and share that story and brag on him. But everybody here has a testimony. Everybody here has a story, and we all need to fly the flag, and we all need to share our story and brag on Jesus. You know, this last year has been a very difficult year. 2020 has been terrible for obvious reasons. And we've learned an awful lot through this virus and trying to deal with that. And as a result of that, so many people all across our country are discouraged and depressed. And as the Bible says, many of us have had our countenance to fall, as the Scripture says. Well, today I want this message to be a message of encouragement. I want you to be comforted, and I want you to be blessed, and I want you to understand uh, two basic fundamental Bible truths that will be a blessing to you today. Now, I want you to know I love Baptist people, and I love Baptist churches. And we have many strong points as Baptist people. We're people of the book. And as a result of that, we have many strong points and good characteristics. But bless your heart, we've got a weakness or two, too. I want to share with you what I believe our biggest weakness is as Baptist people and as Baptist churches today. Sometimes, sometimes we forget what we need to remember. Sometimes we forget what we need to remember. And as a result of that, I want to remind you of two basic fundamental Bible truths today that will be the foundation for what I want to say and share as I share my story. Number one, the number one basic Bible truth I want to share is found in Hebrews 13, 5b, when Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor let you be alone. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We need to understand in the midst of 2020, in the midst of this virus, this pandemic, and, and as we begin 2021, we need to understand and know that Jesus said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. We ought to be encouraged and excited and blessed that Jesus is in this with us. You see, we're not alone. Jesus said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. The second Bible truth I want to share with you is Psalm 66, verse 16, my favorite verse in all the Bible. And it says, Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I'll declare what he hath done for my soul. Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I'll declare what he hath done for my soul. Really, that's an invitation for each and every one of us to share our story and share a testimony and fly the flag for Jesus and brag on him. So I want you to be encouraged today as you think about Hebrews 13, 5b, and also think about Psalm 66, verse 16. Jesus said, uh, that he would intervene in our lives and work in our lives every day, all along the way. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. He said he would be with us in and through this. He would intervene and work in our lives. When you put those two verses together, that's the foundation for my story. There's never been a time that Jesus wasn't with me. There's never been a day when Jesus wasn't intervening and working in my lives, my life every day all along the way, and your life too. If you treat God's intervening as though it's an interruption, then you're further from God than he ever intended you to be. So you and I need to understand Jesus said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus said he'd work in our lives every day 
all along the way. That's the basis for me sharing my story. My story began a long, long time ago and didn't begin with me at all. It began with a young boy, not quite a man. A young boy that wasn't quite a boy and a young boy that wasn't quite a man. You know that age. And he had some intentions along the way. He, he, uh, um, he, and there was not only this young boy, but there was a young girl. And this young boy, he, I'm going to use some language that's old-timey, he fancied this young girl. That means he liked her a whole lot, okay? And so uh, he not only, because he fancied this little girl or this young woman, uh, he set out to court her. That means date her. And he also had it in his mind that he was going to spark her. That means kiss her. And so in the process of because he fancied her, wanted to court her, and wanted to spark her or kiss her, he fell in love with her and he asked her to marry. And surprisingly, that young woman said yes. And so they were excited about beginning their life together. They got married. And they were excited about their new adventure, family life. And things went along all right for a little while. And then... Uh, the mother, that young mother or young wife, found out that she was expecting. And so they were really excited about this new addition to their family. And uh, back in those days when ladies got uh, pregnant, uh, they didn't always go to the doctor like we do now. Uh, you know, a lot of folks do now. And, and she knew uh, because she was expecting that in the sweet by and by she would give birth to a baby. And uh, so I guess she went to the doctor, I'm not sure, and had that confirmed. But they, they don't do tests back in those days. And they didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl. And they didn't know when it was going to come or anything like that. And she just knew in the fullness of time she'd give birth to a baby. My grandma talked about a notching stick years ago. And ladies, when they were expecting, for every month they were pregnant, or every month they were expecting, she had put, they had put a notch on the stick, and when they counted nine notches, they knew the baby was going to come. Well, my grandma said, unless you lose the notching stick, and then you don't know when the baby's going to come. So anyway, that's kind of the way it was then. She knew in the fullness of time that she would give birth. And that time came, and she gave birth to a little baby girl. And so they were so excited about this new addition and their, this adventure that they were on and they loved one another and they loved that baby girl. Well, things went along all right for a little while and then the mother began to get sick. It was kind of a, a mystery disease. You know, kind of like what we're dealing with now, a mystery disease in this virus. But the bottom line is she had a mystery disease. She'd have a, a good week, and then two days she'd be sick. Then she'd get better, and then she'd have a, a two or three weeks where she felt okay, and then she'd have a bad week where she got sick and stayed sick all week long. It was a mystery to her. Folks didn't go to the doctor back in much in those days, and she finally decided that she needed to go for a diagnosis and finally went to the doctor, and sadly that doctor gave her a tragic, diagnosis. He told that young mother, you're not ever going to get better. In fact, you're going to get worse. 
In fact, you're going to pass away, and you're going to pass away soon. Sadly, he was right. It must have been some kind of cancer. We don't know for sure. But when the baby girl was 18 months old, that young mother passed away and left her husband, that young daddy, devastated at the loss of his wife. That devastated him to the point that he didn't do what he should have done. He wasn't the dad that he should have been. He wasn't the daddy that he could have been. In fact, he began to neglect that little girl without the mama being there. And as a result of that, he was so devastated and distraught that he turned away from his little girl and he turned to the bottle and he began to drink. And his drinking alcohol became more severe, more tragic. In fact, he turned his back on his little girl. He came in one day and packed her up as best he could and he took her to extended family members, an aunt and an uncle, and left her there, turned his back on his little girl and walked away and spent his life drinking, turned to the bottle instead of his baby. That little girl didn't have a good experience at that aunt and uncle's house. You see, the aunt and uncle had raised their children and they had grown children, and they didn't want to raise another baby. So I don't know how long that baby was there, but not very long. And they packed her up and took her yet another extended family and left her there. And that's kind of the way she was raised, tossed from pillar to post. She even remembers being put on a train when she was five years old, with a string around her neck and a card that had two things on it. It had her name on it, and it had her destination on it. And that little five-year-old girl was on that train alone, and it was left up to the conductor to watch over that little girl until she reached her destination. That destination was Dillon, South Carolina, living with yet another aunt and uncle. And as a young teenage girl... There she was, filled up to overflowing with all kinds of negative and hurtful feelings like nobody loved her and nobody wanted her and all in the world that little girl wanted was to be loved and cared for. In Dillon, South Carolina, she met a young teenage boy that had a lot of the same negative characteristics that she did. He just wanted somebody to care for him. He just wanted to be loved as well. He just wanted attention as well, and there they were, Two teenagers tossed together, so to speak, and they became in trouble. They got in trouble. That young teenage girl became pregnant without a husband or without a hope, any hope of a husband. Now, what that little girl did was wrong all those years ago, but let's not forget that boy either. What my grandpa used to say years ago what's right is right is right all the time, what's wrong is wrong is wrong all the time. There's never a right time to do wrong. I believe that. So those two teenage people got in trouble. What they did was wrong. But somehow, somehow, something needed to be done to help that little girl in that difficult circumstance. But that aunt and uncle didn't want to help. 
Back in those days, people didn't even talk about it, let alone deal with it very effectively. And so that aunt and uncle decided they didn't want anybody in Dillon, South Carolina to know what their niece had done. You might think, this is difficult circumstances. Remember what I said about God said he'd never leave us nor forsake us? Remember what I said about God intervening and working in our lives every day all along the way? Even though that little teenage girl all those years ago, all those years ago didn't have much going for her, somehow or another, God intervened in that circumstance and helped her to make a good decision for her unborn baby. You see, abortion was available then. It wasn't legal then, but certainly it was available. That little girl all those years ago could have said, I want to abort this baby so I can go on with my life. But somehow, God intervened and helped her to make a good decision, a right decision. And talking with her aunt and uncle, her aunt and uncle uh, wanted to know what she was going to do. They weren't going to be supportive of anything hardly. And as a result of that, that little girl all those years ago said, I want to have this baby and give it up for adoption. I want to give this baby something I couldn't give, a mama and a daddy. So that aunt and uncle slipped her out of town in the middle of the night. From Dillon, South Carolina, they drove her to Durham, North Carolina, and put her in a maternity home. And there she awaited the birth of her baby. And on August the 19th, a Saturday morning at 5.04 in the morning, that little teenage mother gave birth to a little baby boy with blue eyes. And here I stand. That was my birth mother. And she gave birth to me August 19th, 1950. You know, that little teenage mother could have turned her back that day and went on with her life. But God intervened again and helped her to make a good decision, not only for her, but for me. She said, now that this baby is here, I don't want to leave him. I don't want to turn my back on him. I want to stay with him and nurture him and care for him and make sure he gets off to a good start. And that's exactly what she did. When she gave birth to me August 19, 1950, she stayed with me from August to the first week in October, nurtured me, cared for me, loved me, even breastfed me during that time. Can you imagine the bond between that young teenage mother and this blue-eyed baby, as she said? She stayed with me from August to the first week in October, caring for me. And then she packed me up the first week in October and decided she'd go shopping. You know, girls like to go shopping. And so she took me shopping and bought me a blue silk outfit, she said, to match my blue eyes. And uh, by the way, I've still got that outfit. Dave, I've not worn it lately, but I've got it. Uh, the bottom line is she took me shopping, bought that blue silk outfit, and took me to the North Carolina Children's Home Society in Greensboro, North Carolina. Took me in the receiving room and laid me in a bassinet and knelt down. That little teenage mother knelt down beside that bassinet and prayed a prayer and wrote it down. Prayed three things. Number one, 
that I would know she loved me. Number two, that I'd have a mama and daddy, something she couldn't give me. And number three, that God would bless me. Prayed that prayer, wrote it on a letter, and laid that on my chest and went on with her life. There I was, all alone. I didn't even have my birth mother. You see, you might think, there's a little baby, don't have anybody now. Remember what I said? Jesus said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. He'd work in our lives. Laying in that bassinet in that little blue silk outfit, I didn't have anybody but God, and he was enough. He said he'd never leave me. There's never been a time when I've been alone. There's never been a time when you're, you've been alone. There's never been a time when God wasn't working in your life or mine because he loves you and cares for you so very, very much. There I was in that bassinet. The only issue that I had was I had been breastfed from August to the first week in October and when my birth mother left and went on with her life, they had to come up with a bottle formula. Apparently, I didn't like the bottle, so I quit eating. And for the whole month of October, I didn't eat very much at all and on October the 28th, 1950, they Thought I was going to die. They had a cadre of doctors and nurses come in. They talked it over. They decided they'd give me a blood transfusion. I got a blood transfusion on uh, October 28, 1950. When my wife heard that, she said, Gosh, you, you think you're going to be all right? I said, I think I'm going to make it. That was 50-something years ago. So I believe I'll be all right. The bottom line is, I'm thankful for that blood transfusion, but the greatest blood transfusion I ever had is when I believed and received Jesus as my Lord and Savior from sin. He gave His life, shed His blood that I might be, that you might be, that we might be forgiven of our sin and set free from that. That's what Jesus did for you, and that's a big part of your testimony too. There I lay in that bassinet. They gave me that blood transfusion, and I began to get better. There I was, though, a baby that didn't have a mom and dad. Remember the prayer that my birth mother prayed? God looked down and saw a mama and daddy in Belmont, North Carolina, Kenneth and Gracie Smith. Gracie couldn't have babies. They wanted a baby more than anything in the world. They had applied to adopt a baby. North Carolina Children's Home Society called my dad, Kenneth Smith, at, at uh, the city of Belmont where he worked at his office and said, Mr. Smith, uh, we've got a baby here. This might be the very baby that you and Gracie are supposed to have. If you come this afternoon, uh, we'll investigate that together. Dad slammed the phone down, ran out, jumped in the truck, went home to get Mama. They threw pillows and blankets in the back of the car. Mama threw the only item of clothing she had collected up to that point for a baby, one dress. She threw it in the car. They took off from Belmont to Greensboro, and on the way, Mama looked over at Daddy and said, By the way, Kenneth, what kind of baby is this? And he said, It's just a baby. It's just a baby. He didn't, he didn't ask if it was a boy or a girl. That's part of God's plan, too. See, God was working that out. I was going to be their baby no matter what. God intervened. Daddy and Mama didn't know anything on that way except I was just a baby. And they drove into the North Carolina Children's Home Society in Greensboro and went into the receiving room. They had me dressed in that blue silk outfit. 
I laid in the bassinet. My mama went over there and scooped me out and said, we'll take him. I must have been beautiful. Well, the bottom line is they said, no, no, you can't, you can't make that decision now. We've got policies. You have to play with this baby for an hour. We leave you. You're alone with the baby for an hour. And then at the end of that hour, if you want the baby, then you tell us then. So they left. God intervened again. Made me the best baby in the world for one hour. When he came back in, mom and daddy said, we want him. They paid $28.50 for me. They filled out one eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and one legal size sheet of paper and paid the $28.50. And I've got an old raggedy, wrinkled receipt. I know how much I'm worth. The bottom line is I'm worth a whole lot more than that because Jesus thinks so. And you are too. But anyway, mom and dad adopted me. Mama put me in that dress and put me in the back seat of the car and packed pillows and blankets around me, got in the front seat, leaned across the back of the front seat as they left. While I was there uh, in, at the uh, North Carolina Children's Home Society, there was 18 other babies there uh, being adopted, going through the process. And one of the nurses said, we need to name these babies something, and they decided they'd name us after the presidents. So for a little while, my name was Harry Truman. Thank God I was adopted. Amen. Anyway, Mom and Dad put me in the car and packed those pillows and blankets around me and headed from Greensboro uh, uh, to Belmont. And on the way, Mom looked over at Daddy and said, Kenneth, this has got to be the ugliest kid I've ever laid eyes on. And that's the truth. My mama said that about me going from Greensboro to Belmont. Now, in my defense, I didn't eat much, had blood transfusion October 28th. This was toward the end of November, 1950. And Mama said the biggest thing about me was my big, big blue eyes bugged out of my head because I was so puny and frail. But God did a work in a Mama's heart. And from Greensboro to Belmont, my Mama fell in love with me. And He did a work in my Daddy's heart, too. And when they drove up into the driveway in Belmont, my mama looked over at Daddy and said, Kenneth, this has got to be the prettiest kid I've ever laid eyes on. Now, that's the reason I tell the story. That's what Jesus did for me. Jesus caused my mom and dad to fall in love with me. I want you to know I had the greatest parents in the world. I could have been a better son from time to time. But they loved me, they cared for me, they taught me about Jesus, they taught me about church, they taught me the Bible, they took me to church, they shared with me the gospel. Uh, that's what my mom and dad did for me. I couldn't have had a better life. So my mama told me from the very beginning that I was adopted. And when I couldn't understand it, she said, we didn't have anything to do one day. So we decided we'd go baby shopping. And we went down to the baby store. And we went in the baby store, and there was thousands and thousands of babies in that baby store and went up and down the aisle, and we picked the, the prettiest baby in the place, the one with the big blue eyes. 
Now, who's not going to feel special after that? I believed that till I was 22. <laughs> the bottom line is, adoption is special. It is the appropriate option for difficult circumstances. And so, my mama had my daddy stop on the way home that day and buy a whole case of white Cairo syrup and a whole case of evaporated milk, probably pet or carnation, and she mixed me up a baby formula, and three months I had a triple chin. I was so fat. <laughs> they made my adoption final in eight months instead of 12 because I was flourishing so. And so I had a wonderful life. Adoption is a great blessing for those that can't have babies, and certainly for babies that don't have a mom and dad and need one so desperately, and that was me. But it's never, it's never um, impossible. Everything is impossible with God. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. That's been true. He said he'd work in our lives every day all along the way. I had a wonderful life. Had a wonderful life. You couldn't ask for anything better. My mama died in 98. My daddy died eight months and a week later. I don't know where I was. I might have been in church in the altar. I might have been on the uh, deck drinking coffee with Sherry. We might have been at breakfast table. We might have been, I might have been on the tractor. I don't even know where I was. But a couple years later, it came to me that I needed to try to find my birth mother. Not because I needed anything, not because there was a void or an emptiness in my life, not because my mom and daddy didn't, didn't do a good job, they did. I didn't have a need. But the Baptist preacher in me came out and I thought, wouldn't it be something if I could meet my birth mother and if she was not a believer, it'd be something if her own biological son could lead her to Christ. That's what was in my mind. So I called the North Carolina Children's Home Society and I said, my name's Lewis Smith. I was adopted October 1950. I want to know about my beginning. They said, your records are sealed by the state of North Carolina. We can't tell you anything. I said, well, what can you tell me? And they said, we can send you non-identifying information. And I said, well, bless your heart, send it. And so 10 days later, I got a letter. And just in case you don't know what non-identifying information is, I'll share with you. It was a letter that said, your birth mother was short. No kidding. I can look in the mirror and know she was short. It talked about hair color and eye color and stuff like that, but that was it. I called them back and I said, I want to come down there. I want a post-adoption uh, conference. And they said, okay. I went down. Me and Sherry went down. And we asked three questions. They answered the first three. And then for two hours and 45 minutes, every question I asked, they said, we know, but we can't tell you. So I left. By the way, <clears throat> the nursery that I was in in 1950 was no longer a nursery. It was a private residence in Greensboro on Cypress Street. And they told me that it was a private re residence and knowing that I was from the mountains that I might try to go by there and see it. And they said, you can't go by there and see it. It's a private residence. 
they shared that with me for information. After I finished that meeting, I got in the car and Sherry said, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to Cypress Street. And she, they said, uh, you're not supposed to do that. And I said, are you going? Or are you going to stay in the car? We drove to Cypress Street, parked in the front of that house that was the nursery for 19 babies waiting uh, adoption. It was a big Victorian home. I got out of the car, walked up the sidewalk. Sherry went with me. I knocked on the door, and the lady opened the door, and I started to tell her, my name's Lewis Smith. I was, in a, and she interrupted me, and she said, which one of you are adopted? And I said, I am. And she said, welcome home. Come on in. And Sherry and I got to tour the very room where my mom and daddy saw me the first time in November of 1950. The very room where my mama grabbed me up out of that bassinet all those years ago. By the way, it's in the historical registry because it had the first refrigerator in that house in Greensboro, North Carolina. Now, if you're going to take care of 19 babies, you better have a refrigerator. And so uh, that was a little history there. So anyway, we left and came home. We prayed about it. I wasn't mad. I wasn't upset. wasn't angry. wasn't going to sue anybody. But I knew this wasn't over. It was an adventure with God. I was going to find out one way or another about my beginning. So I hired a lawyer. And we went back down to... Guilford County, and petitioned the court for the release of the record. I was 51 years old, and they told me that I couldn't know about my beginning. In other words, I lost. And the judge said, Mr. Smith, have you got anything you want to say? And I said, yeah. I said, Judge, I'm 51 years old. I don't know about my beginning. I'm not mad. I'm not angry. I'm not going to sue anybody. But is there something you can do to help me? He issued two court orders, one instructing them to find my birth mother and with her permission release the record. Two, if they couldn't find her, help me hire a private investigator. I left and came home. Four days later, they called me on the phone and they said, we don't know anything about your birth mother. We don't even know her name. You want to hire a private investigator? And I said, yes, I do. And they gave me the names of five men. They said, you pick one, we'll be your go-between. Then he said, almost as an afterthought, or she said, almost as an afterthought, there is this one woman that's moving into North Carolina. She's got good credentials, but we've never worked with her. God spoke to my heart and said, hire, this, hire the woman. To this day, I don't know who that lady was. Don't know her name, don't know anything about her, except she took my case, July of 2001. I was going from Franklin to Hendersonville to do a wedding at a place called Jump Off Rock State Park on October 5th, 2001. I went through Balsam Gap going down into Haywood County. My cell phone rang right in Balsam Gap. I picked it up and it was Betty Godwin and she said, Lewis, we've located your birth mother. She's alive and well. You need to write a non-identifying letter. Send it to us. We'll send it to her. First thing that came to mind was, hello, I'm short. Anyway, we talked for a minute as I was going right through Balsam Gap. I said, Betty, you need to speak up. I'm going through Balsam Gap. And she said, oh, my. And I said, what? And she said, oh, never mind. She couldn't tell me then that I was 100 
yards from my birth mother. I was right in front of her house. She lived right in Balsam Gap. Long story short, I sent a letter. Got a letter back. I sent another letter. I unloaded the wagon. And before that letter got there, they called me on the phone and they said, Lewis, have you sent us another letter? And I said, yes, I have. And, and I said, just send it on. Don't mark out anything. I've, I've decided to unload the wagon. I'm going to tell everything. She said, well, that's the reason I'm calling. Your birth mother called this morning. She released the records and I'm prepared to tell you who she is. And so she told me, but before she told me, she said, remember when I, t uh, where were you when I called you the first time? I said, going through Balsam Gap. She said, couldn't tell you this then, but I can now. Your birth mother lives in Balsam Gap. I was 100 yards from her. If I'd have had her name, I could have found her myself in 10 minutes. Her name is Vivian Celine Daniels, uh, raised on Allen's Creek, uh, Arrington. If you know anything about Barber's Orchard, you know the Arrington family owned it. It's that family. You see, after she left me, uh, October, first week in October, she came back to Waynesville, went to work at Wellco Shoe Factory. Uh, William G. Bill Arrington fell in love with her three years later. Asked her to marry. She said, I need to tell you that I've had a baby out of wedlock. And he said, that don't matter. I love you and we won't talk about it. And for 47 years, the man never mentioned it. Had three other kids, my half-brothers and sisters. They were all Baptists. I knew them. I'd preached in their respective churches. They knew me. I didn't know I was preaching to my family. They didn't know their brother was preaching. I lived a mile from her for seven years when I pastored Ratcliffe Cove Baptist Church in Waynesville. Get this. Like Charles Stanley says, listen to me now. Her youngest daughter, our oldest son, was in the same fourth grade class at Lake Junaluska Elementary School. I knew her husband. He knew me but we didn't know the connection. Now, when I tell you God said he'd never leave us nor forsake us, believe it. When I tell you that God intervenes and works in our lives every day all along the way, believe it. And God's got a sense of humor too. He could have put me anywhere in the world and he put me a hundred yards away from her. I called her on the phone. I said, Ms. Arrington, my name's Lewis Smith, and they tell me I'm your son. And she said, yes, you are. And we talked on the phone for a little while. She said, I want you to come to my house Sunday at 3 o'clock. We can spend some time together, and my other kids are going to come in at 5. And I said, okay. Sherry and I and my daughter-in-law and my youngest son went over there. My oldest son was called up in the Coast Guard, and knocked on her door in Balsam Gap. She opened the door. Her first words were, what do you think? I didn't say anything. She said it again. I didn't say anything again. She said it a third time, and my wife punched me in my back, and she said, talk to her. She's talking to you. 
I want you to know, I was in a daze. I was floating. There were so many emotions, a flood of things going on in my mind and heart. And the sun was over my shoulder, and there was a glare, and I couldn't see her too good. And I stepped in, and when I stepped in, could see her face. I looked into her eyes. It was the strangest feeling. I was looking in my own eyes. I looked more like her than any of her other children. We looked alike. Our eyes were identical. If you had a way to describe it, it would be like I had come home in so many ways. Now, tell me that you will never forget that God loves you so much He's willing never to let you be alone. He loves you so much that he intervenes in your life constantly and continually. Sometimes we forget that. Certainly in the midst of this pandemic, we've often forget it, forgot it. It's been depressing, frustrating, so hurtful what we've gone through. But today you need to understand, God keeps his word. He's faithful and true to keep his word. And he said, you're not alone. He said, he's with you. He said, he'd work in your life every day all along the way. That's what I want you to remember. And also remember that North Carolina Baptist Children's Home became an adoption agency last October. And now, when I go from place to place, I can tell people, always choose adoption, the appropriate option. There have been enough innocent babies lost since 1973, but it doesn't have to be that way. We need to take a stand. Pro-life, choose the appropriate option always. Adoption, not abortion. Just remember though, God's in this with you. So be comforted. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this day, for the privilege you've given me to be here. I pray blessings upon this church. Each and every person that's heard this message, I pray they'd be encouraged and comforted and helped and blessed this day. May your truth, your word, find a lodging place in our hearts. And may we all be bettered and benefited from hearing your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.